Dove Faith Cafe, real stories by real people. Welcome to Dove Faith Cafe. I'm Marie, and you'll hear more from me later. First up today, a story from John that was recorded at one of our live events. John's story is one of rejection of who he is at his core. Yet God reached out and showed him that he is a child of God, period. Sit back and enjoy. Lift every voice. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you're all here tonight. I'm John, and I wanted to let you know that I am just so thankful. God, the wonderful parents that he gave me, that instilled a foundation of faith in me and my siblings from very early on. And I'm grateful to God for the gifts and talents that he has given me, specifically music. Music for me, when shared freely, allows me to have a deeper relationship, a deeper walk with him. And so I did that. Two very large churches for over 20 years. Since I was so visible, people thought that they knew me. They looked up to me based on what they saw, what they heard, the words of the music that I was singing. But sadly, I didn't really know myself. You see, I was just starting to fully finally realize starts about mid-2004. Like I said, I have been actively involved in the music ministry for 20 years at both my home church and the church of my mentor and vocal coach and good friend, Judy. So I would be singing at both of those churches at the same time, on a weekly basis. At the same time, I was a father, three wonderful kids, son and two daughters, who at that time were the ages of 17 to 25. I was going through a failed second marriage. And by later that year, I realized I needed to exit based on what I was really realizing, that that's not fair to another person. Fortunately, for my kids, that was not their mother. And fortunately, for them as well as me, their mother and I and the kids, we are a family unit. We always have been. We always loved and respected each other. I had, to I had to relate this to my children, who I had a great relationship with. And so it was scary. I was really scared by that. Is that going to change things? Are they not going to love me to respect me? What a blessing God gave me in those three children, all 
fast forward a little bit to spring of 2005. By that time, the divorce had been well underway. I had met a partner, and we were together a couple of years. Today, I'm very happy to say we've been together for 17 years, and we've been married for seven more years. And my kids embrace him, and we are a family unit, along with their mother. So I am walking into church that Sunday morning, and I start out at my mentor's church first, and I handed her a piece of music that we were going to be doing as a prelude. That was our typical MO. We had worked together for years, so that's how it was done. And she said, John, today, I really have an instrumental that I'd like to do. Hold that for next week. I said, sure. Didn't even think anything of it until later on during the service. As a sign of the peace, I would always walk over to the rector. We have been on great terms, very friendly, developed a good relationship. And what I noticed as I was walking over stunned me to the core. Instead of that friendly, welcoming smile that I am used to, I see an expressionless face the closer I get. And my eyes don't believe me. Get closer, it doesn't change. And this is a friendly guy. And the eyes, as I extended my hand for the sign of the peace, were very cold. We did the peace the rest of the service, but I kept thinking about it. Then I left after the service was done, and I went to my home church to lead worship there. And so, of course, I kept thinking about that as I'm doing this. And then even later that evening, I thought about it some more, and it was driving me nuts. I finally was able to convince myself that I was making a big deal out of nothing. And so I was able to put it to them. And I didn't think anything more of it. Until a couple days later, I'm at work. I'm an IT manager for a large corporation. I've been there for a long time. I get a call from Judy, my mentor, asking me to lunch. Her voice was off. I noticed it right away. And also, we don't really do lunch. We're both busy with our day jobs. We don't have the time. So I said, what's really up, Judy? She gave me some flimsy excuse. And I wouldn't relent. I kept pressing her. Finally, she said, John, I didn't want to do this over the phone. But I have to let you. You can no longer sing at my church. I'm being forced to let you go because the rector will not allow you to be there in such a visible position due to your lifestyle. I mean, <clears throat> I don't even know what the emotion was. It was a lot more than stunned. Um, I didn't know what to think. And Judy, I mean, she knew. I came out to her. She knew I was gay. That wasn't an issue. So we went through with the lunch a couple days later, and it was pretty painful. The following week, and this is right smack dab past the middle of Lent. There's a lot of activities that I had on the books from the church 
I get a call from Karen, the music director at my home church. John, she gets right to the point. I need to let you go. I feel awful. I don't want to do this. But the rector is making me do that. And then she did soften it. She said, you know, I feel terrible. But I want you to have access to any music that you want so that you can continue your ministry somewhere else. I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, I can't even think of that at this point. But the pain is so hurtful. I don't, I really can't articulate it that well. Um, I never went back to my home church. But again, it was a large church. I did go back to my mentor's church just at another time normally sing at. People would come up to me all the time from either church, at church, at anywhere. A large corporation <laughs> wasn't really a benefit at this time because especially during holy days, they'd end up at the church I was at downtown. So they, they knew me. They appreciated it. They told me what my singing meant to them. Well, now it was a double-edged sword, and I realized some of that consequences, but um, they were asking when I would sing again. That I really couldn't even answer. I just made up an excuse. My schedule has changed at work. lifestyle 
is so intrinsically evil that I cannot allow that. Well, I'm hearing these words in my office that is a cubicle, and I don't want my team or anyone else dropping in on me while I'm figuring that out. So I knew what evil meant. I thought, I'm going to look up what intrinsically has to do with it when I'm in the safety of my home. And so I did. I Googled it when I got home. It meant so poor opposite to God's teaching that it can never be acceptable. It can never be right with God. Well, now, I'm not just upset anymore. I am furious. I am a child of God. As much as you're trying to beat me down, I am not going to let you. So, I didn't go to church anymore, but I knew I had to change. There was a woman at work that I just started in our department, and we were at the water cooler, and she knew that I went to a church that a friend of hers sang at, and she wanted to know when she sang next so she could come hear her. So she's asking me, and I said, well, I don't sing there anymore, and one thing led to another, and the whole thing blurted out, and she goes, my church isn't like that. You have to come to my church. We would love to have you. And besides that, we need singers. <laughs> so I did. I actually went to the church that weekend. And it's a very friendly, welcoming but I hadn't been to a new church in a long time. So there I am. And it's quite different. It's different in, I was used to large churches. So even though I'm standing up there in front of a lot of people, besides doing that, I can navigate and be as invisible otherwise as I choose to be. Well, here we are at this small, they call themselves sometimes a country church. And I was excited to be there, and people were the real welcoming and the real friendly. I didn't, I didn't think anything other than that. So I ended up going in and sitting in the congregation. Julie was in choir, so she had, she couldn't even sit with me. And I was okay until the music started again. The music was fine. It was just a little too. Heartwarming, I would have to say, would be the best term. And so I started getting so, so very nervous. I am just sitting there, my leg just going, I don't know how many miles a minute. And it's like, God, control yourself. And it's not working. All of a sudden, I can feel God's presence with me. I feel him give me this call. I feel him like, it's almost like I felt him on my shoulders saying, John, I want you to stay. Stay with me. Stay with me today. You don't have to commit to that. You don't have to ever come back here again. actually fine. And that didn't reappear. I've been there for 10 years for ten years now. But that's not even the half of it. I mean, my husband, Kenny, became a member of a non-church body. He is actively involved in our church. But the better man, he was baptized. 
so there's some things that I'd really like you all to do. Recently, you've probably heard on the news different things like conversion therapy, especially for gay kids, teenagers. And what I want you to pray about, those things are so, so dangerous. I can't even say more than that. Other than that's why we see some of the suicide rates the way they are in the LGBTQ community. I really do want you to pray that you can just let one person know that's not a good idea. I would be grateful. And if my story tonight reached at least one of you who may be experiencing something similar or may know someone Thank you so much. If you have a faith story you'd like to tell, go to our website at dovefaithcafe.org to find out how you can share your story. If you like what you hear, let us know. Please subscribe and share and leave a review. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and on our website, dovefaithcafe.org. So welcome. I'd like to uh, introduce who we have here today. Um, we have uh, my co-host, Jordan Trendleman, who is a seminary student at Sewanee in Tennessee. Welcome, Jordan. Greetings, greetings. It's good to see you. And we have the Reverend Canon Willis Foster, who is the Canon for Diversity and Transformation in the Diocese of Southern Virginia. Welcome, Willis. Ah, uh, thank you. It's good to be here, and it's good to see to see you guys. Thank you. Yeah. I am I am Marie uh, uh, Gambetta, and I live in Northwest Indiana, and. Um, I, uh, I'm excited about our conversation today. We've just heard the story uh, that John told, and um, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to ask what, what your initial impressions were, what were your, when you heard this story the first time? I was um, appalled and also um, uplifted. Uh, uh, and also not surprised by the, by the deep, deep hurt that, uh, John experienced. Um, the church wounds people deeply. I, I remember, um, when I was in seminary, uh, one of my, uh, classmates at, uh, had graduated and uh, we were sitting down with one of our instructors and my classmate had to go off somewhere and um, the professor said, you know, the church is going to break his heart. Uh, and all of us, I think, have experienced her breaking our hearts in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I, this was not my first time hearing John's story because I had the privilege of, of hearing it a number of times in, in live settings and uh, and knowing John personally. He, he was, he's from my sending parish. Um, so I was familiar with John's story before it was the more refined version that we get in this in this format. Um, and, you know, it it always strikes me every time I hear it because I know how good John is at public speaking. I know how good John is at, at, uh, at singing. I know, I know how controlled and reserved John is in a lot of ways as a person, but you know, to hear him tell the story time and time again, and to just hear the shakiness in his voice at times and his, his, uh, just, uh, 
you know, this experience really rattled him to his core. And I think part of the power of the of, of the storytelling format is that we get to get uh, an energetical uh, glimpse into that in our own selves because it's, it's hard to hear him talk about this and not feel that same shaking. And when he, he talks about being so nervous in, in the Episcopal Church for the first time, I mean, if your legs don't start bouncing while you're hearing him talk about it, I don't, you know, I, that, then I don't, then I don't know that you're, I don't know that you're listening, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's, and it's so funny because I remember when we first went to St. Albans and, and we were there for our first Sunday, me, me and my wife, Christina, and, and we, and John sang a, sang a solo. And it was funny because we looked at each other and I leaned over, I said, I said, well, if they're okay with John being okay here, then we're going to be okay here. Right. And so the, the other flip side of that of being, generally appalled or generally like uh gut-wrenched at this story the opposite is true as well is because when when we begin this process of being inclusive when we begin this process of broadening our definition of, of family on a spiritual in a spiritual community it it also ripples out and and so all of a sudden we being there for the first time go okay if this man who this if this if this outwardly uh, expressing gay man can be in front of this congregation singing then we know this is an affirming and accepting and open and inclusive community that we would feel comfortable being part of and so yeah it, you know it's been it's been amazing to see John develop this over time and 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 uh, and, and tell his story over time it's just fantastic yeah. I, I I wonder why, you know, the first time I heard his story, I, I wondered, why is he still, why is he still trying? Why is he, why hasn't he given up? Why hasn't he just decided, you know, screw all of you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, do God my own way or, or, or forget God, you know, it's, it's, it, I think it speaks to John and to his level of faith. And not just John, but to his level of faith that he's continuing to pursue God. And of course, God is continuing to pursue him. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Well, you know, part of faith is, is trust. And uh, even in your lowest times, you know, when you're, when you're down at the bottom of that well and you, you're not sure if the floor will hold, the one thing that you do know uh, is that your God is sitting there with you uh, and that no matter how low you are, your God will be with you in that low time and will not necessarily bring you up to a higher place, but God will bring you to a different place in a place that you need to be uh, because God is God is is faithful and I don't think I have on rose colored glasses because I've experienced crap in my life <laughs> and my family have experienced crap um, you know I was I was born and raised in the segregated south um, I'm a child and I was born in 1948 and so my formative years is in the 50s and 60s, you know, and uh, and so I didn't experience what my parents experienced or my grandparents experienced, but um, I've experienced some things that my my children haven't experienced, but at the same time they experience their own version of 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 racism. Yeah. You know, it, it seems to me that the, the some, some churches, and, and regardless of denomination, right, because the church is the people, right, some churches um, are all about who they exclude, mm. and other churches are about who they include, and I want to be with the people who want to include as many as possible. And, and I, I love that about, about my church. And I love that about John's church. And I love that about our diocese. And I love that about your diocese, Willis. I do. It's so 
the struggle. I, I have I have a gay son and a gay grandson, and they exhibit their gayness in very different ways. Uh, my son is. He looks like a construction worker. He's the biggest of the. I mean, he's like six two, and he's he's muscular, and he moves vending machines, and and he has that blue collar mentality. And my 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 grandson is. When I asked him what he wanted to be, um, he said he wanted to be a drag queen, and he is gorgeous. Um, he's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I showed you a picture of him. He he is he is he's not pretty. He's pretty. You know, and and so um, being the father and grandfather of uh, of a gay son and and gay grandson is worrisome because you know that they are going to experience pain in so many different levels. And my son, who's the father of my grandson, my oldest son, is not accepting of his his sexuality. Uh, and um, and that's, that's painful for my grandson and, and me. And so, you know... So it's not only individual pain, but it's communal pain. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of circle back a little bit as well to what you were saying about your gratitude, Maria, you know, and, and, and that you ex exist in these communities that have these ideals. But, you know, it, those ideals are partially in part to language that was developed before we were actually even having conversations about those ideals. You know, just, just as our Declaration of Independence says all, all men are created equal, and they certainly didn't mean that in the way that we interpret it in a modern context, but we've held, held them to it, right? Mm -hmm. And in the same way our baptismal co covenant might, might have for a very long time, long before we had discussions about same-sex marriage ceremonies and, and whether or not the church was on board with with transgender and things like that we had language in our baptismal covenant that 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 asked us to to uphold the dignity of all human beings and i don't know that when that was written if, so, if it was if it was intended in that way but we are lucky to be part of a tradition that has that in its language because now we can actualize it regardless you know i remember when that was put in the um in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the prayer book, uh, it wasn't in the 1928 prayer book. Okay. Uh, and, and that was a hard fight to get that language in the 79 prayer book. There were, there were really? people that fought against that, that language, that in, inclusive language. And so in many ways, the 28 prayer book, uh, was exclusive and the 79 prayer book is inclusive in so many ways. And so I, I, I'm glad you, there are things that in the 28 prayer book that are, are, are wonderful, uh, but I think our prayer book now is much more wonderful because of that inclusivity and, 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 and going back to the well, if you will, of who we are, how we are, and God's intention for us to be. Yeah. And and this and the Holy Spirit working through working through that language because I don't know that in even in seventy eight if that in their mind would would include a young person transitioning from one gender to another. You know. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and. And you know, there's that there's that ongoing revelation of of, of of what that means to be inclusive and be and the the the, the universal nature of the gospel message, you know. And, and that's one of the things that strikes me about John's story too is that like, you know, where where he picks up in the story, John John knows that he's he's a gay man, but this is something that he came to a self awareness much later in life than some people do, you know. And so it was a reconciliation process on his on his story. That occurred long before we get to the part where he he is he is let down by the church. He has had to deal with feeling let down in himself for many many years and building up to that. You know, 
Well, society had had pushed him into a place that he could not uh, he could not discover himself, his true self, because you know society as it existed then and and in a lot of ways exists now um, does not want you to go beyond certain boundaries and. You know, uh, a person, uh, an LGBTQA person uh, goes beyond those boundaries that society wants to accept. And the church is, the society's church is the church of the empire. And so it's not surprising that the church wants to keep people within certain boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, Easier to control. Yeah. 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 We, we're like Jonah in, in the church. We know God is merciful, compassionate, and quick to forgive. And we don't want God to forgive those people that we don't want to forgive. <laughs> <laughs> Is that mercy for me and justice for everyone else, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I, I really, um, I, I really felt for John in his, in his search for self-discovery, and his understanding of his sexuality, because there are, and I and I've experienced it. Um, there are people that that conflict that internal conflict would destroy mm. you know mm-hmm. and and he i think had enough self-awareness but also uh, a god-centeredness that prevented that level of self-destructiveness does that make sense yeah, absolutely. So many people don't, though, you know, and they just decide it. They decide that that God is the church, and if the church turns their back on them, then they turn their back on God, and and that's so. Oh, it's just so tragic to see. It's so tragic. But that's what's. I mean, as we've already alluded to, that's part of what's so amazing about John's story for me is that. I've heard this, like I mentioned, again, I don't want to be a broken record, but I've heard this story told so many times with slight, subtle order changes and phrase changing, but never once in his frustration or his broken heartedness did he turn that as an as a obstacle or a stumbling block between him and his relationship with God. It was a, it was a challenge for him and his relationship with the church on earth or the organization that he was part of. But there's not a point in that personal story where he says, I was mad at God or I was mad at, you know, um, he said it was hard for him to go to church at times. He's, he's mentions that it, that it interrupted that relationship, but his love, his love, even for the church, despite its persecution of him is just, it's just really inspiring because there's people who have faced much less hurdles with organized religion that, that still uh, uh, let that destroy a relationship they could have with, with, uh, with God in, in a way that's, that's unfortunate. And here's, here's a fellow who, who really has faced discrimination in a really serious way and, and, and a certain degree of just self-discrimination in a very serious way, but all, despite all that. Yeah. You know, you know I, for me, as many times as I've listened to John's story or heard him live, the, the line that gets me every time and gets me on my feet is when he says, I am a child of God. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. That is a fact, and he knows it in his cells. I mean, mm-hmm. he, I love that. I love that because no one can take that away from him. Yeah, you know, one one of my favorite characters in the Bible is 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 Job, and um, I say to people, God, you have to treat God as your lover, the the one you love the best, and you don't always agree with your lover, 
you're not always happy with your lover. Mm-hmm. You argue with your lover. Uh, you disappoint it. Uh, with your lover, but your lover brings you the most joy that you could ever experience. And so sometimes people are scared to treat God as their lover. They're scared to argue with God. They're scared to get mad at God. They're scared to be truthful with God. But I, I, I see John as, 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 you know, he would admit, I think, and I'm putting word in his words in his mouth that he may have been angry at God for some things, but you know what? Like Job says, no matter how angry I get, no matter what frustrations I have, you are still my God. Mm-hmm. And that's what I heard John say. Mm-hmm. No matter what my position is, no matter what my life is like, you are still my God. And, and there's something here in this story, I think, too, that just speaks to kind of a, a universal story that all people can relate to, regardless of their their, their even their stance on on uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, issues within the church. That there's this sense of self-discovery, and when we discover who we truly are, uh, is that still going to be okay with God? Is it still going to be okay with, you know, is it still going to be okay with the community that we share our broader ideals with right and there's there's something there's a universal story there of like self-realization self-acknowledgement um you know and and that sometimes our relationship with god sometimes our path with god is at odds with the 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 structural institutions around us you know and that and that that's that that, that's that can be okay and that ultimately um you know all all roads lead there right all roads lead 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 to God if that is if, if if we have that that kind of relationship you described that that lover relationship with God but but it you know that 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 moral compass is developing as one gets older uh you have a base a baseline a, a, a base focus uh and as you get older it becomes uh, stronger uh in my mind it becomes it becomes uh, stronger. And if you are true to yourself and to your God, it makes it easier to go against the prevailing currents. Mm. You know, uh, it's like when, when, when John was invited to that church, um, that church understood itself and instead and understood God's intention for that church for that community mm-hmm. uh and 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 they acted on God's intention for them and as individuals and communities we have a moral compass and we either abide by that moral compass listen to it or we refuse it mm. and sometimes as churches we refuse God's intention, we refuse that moral compass, and we become like the church that cut John deeply. Yeah, and 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 to that, and speaking to that to that idea, I mean that our parish, my sending parish, when Gene Robinson was ordained bishop, <laughs> took out a full page ad in the newspaper saying that they are the last conservative beacon of the Episcopal Church in Northern Indiana, that they didn't stand by the ordination of, of Gene Robinson. Wow. Right? So so. And, and now we have now now our now our our you know rector was a mentor was mentored by Gene Robinson so like yeah. you know and is an is an openly openly gay man and so you know it, there's times that we might deny that moral compass but that there's still infinite opportunity through time for the spirit to work its way in yeah. there and and one of the most amazing parts of John's story for me is the inclusion of his partner Kenny coming into the scenario as as a non-believer. Yeah. And eventually being baptized, and the emotional response that John has to that to that is just amazing. And it was an emotional moment in in the parish. But when you see God's work pan out, or the plan pan out, because I don't know if they would have come at a couple as a couple initially. Right. John's time there as an individual, and and his dedication to the church and serving in the church and serving up in front of people as a musical director or a member of the choir 
all those things, you know, it's it becomes so much easier for us to open that definition of who our family can be when we've actually spent time in community with one another. And so I think that that this whole when you see this whole thing pan out, it's like here's this church that there are still people at that church who were members of that church when that full page article came out. Yeah. Who, who, who at this point have completely embraced John and Kenny as members of their church, you know, but if you ask them 20, 30 years ago, I don't know yeah. that, that that might've been the case. And it's just, a, it's a cool, not only is it a cool uh, and inspiring thing to hear from John, but it's, but knowing the broader context, like I do, it's a cool and inspiring story about an entire faith community coming to a much more realized place of those ideals, you know, so. You know, Jordan, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because my tendency, because I still have a long way to go, my tendency is to write people off, you know, or mm. write whole, not just individuals, but whole, you know, organizations. So yeah. I tend yeah. to say, you know what, you think like that, I don't want anything to do with you. And just to show them the door, you know, metaphorically, I don't yeah. even want anything to do with them. And so by doing that, you remind me that I, I don't allow them to grow, right? I don't give them the grace that I would ask for when my opinions are, are wrong and, and are hurtful to other people that I'm not aware of, you know, people have kindly given me room to grow and to to grow in my relationship with God and within my community. But I tend to, as Willis knows, I tend to just shut people down and just say, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. need you in my life anymore. I don't need that that institution, that organization. And so that's a good reminder to me that I need to not condemn all of them because they can still grow and I can still grow. Yeah. The the part of that is staying engaged when you don't want to. Yeah. When you when you want to walk away, take a deep breath and and stay and listen. Mm-hmm. Um I had an experience when I first came into this this position uh and a guy wanted to talk to me and we spent 2 hours talking. Uh he was a uh, he was a he was a trumper, he was a, a MAGA person, um, and we got to the point where we agreed to disagree on on some places. But um, uh, I, I talked to him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he says, "You know, Willis, you're the only person that I trust in the diocese." So, oh. so we have very different theology, very different. Uh, political leanings but we keep engaged with each Mm -hmm. other we listen to each other uh we respect each other we don't necessarily respect each other's ideas but (laughs) we respect each other as 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 made in the image of god and we stay engaged and that's the that's the hard part is staying engaged and John is engaged. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, oh, God, he is engaged. And he didn't walk away from the church. The church walked away from him. Mm-hmm. The congregation walked away from him. And, Good point. Good point. And, and just think if they hadn't have walked away. Just think if they had engaged and listened to him. And, and just think. So... I, I write stuff in the in the in the margins of my of my Bible, and um, one of the things that I've written um, uh, in the margins is uh, love is not an emotion; love is an act of will. Mm. Uh, and and we have to willfully love sometimes mm-hmm. until love actually blooms in our hearts. You know that that old twelve-step uh, uh, thing about faking it till you're making it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to intentionally, willfully love until that love is seeded mm. in our hearts. That's true. Uh, you know, uh, reconciliation and redemption. You know, his his story ends with with redemption. Uh, not only 
his redemption, but the church's redemption, you know, and um, his story gives hope not only for the church, but for God's people, and in God's people, I include everyone that's that's made in the image of God, you know, um, God's people aren't necessarily Christian, they, they're mm-hmm. Hindus, they're Sikhs, they're Muslims, they're Jews, they're even atheists, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we are all given that path of reconciliation. We're all given the chance to open up our tender bits to each other, because without opening our tender bits to each other, we can't receive or show love. And, and and that's what John was doing, I think. And that's what the churches that accepted John was doing. It was opening up its tender bits. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. I want to thank you both, Jordan and Willis, for joining me in this conversation um, and, and helping me to honor uh, John's story and his struggle as... Um, he brings his pain and watches as God turns it into something beautiful. I'm just so honored to, to be able to witness that or at least witness the beauty that comes after that. I think that's exciting. So I want to thank you both for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, as always. like to give a shout out of thanks to our storyteller John, my co-host Jordan, and our special guest Canon Willis Foster. Extra special thanks to our audio engineer, Father Tom Adamson. Thanks for making us sound better than we really do.